how many how many wives did Trump have and how many children by different women has he had? He had three wives. He did have three wives. He's got a third wife, yeah. There's about seven kids, but third wife, three yeah. Wives. Three wives. Yeah. I'm not sure President Obama becomes president if he had the same background. And I'm not sure Rishi Sunak becomes prime minister if people were asking him, how many children do you have? And he's just avoiding the question. I don't, I'm not sure that that happens. I don't know how many people have dug into Boris's wealth or the wealth of Cameron or the wealth of other prime ministers, the way that they've dug into Rishi's. So to answer your question, I don't think class and race are, are separate entities. Yeah, I don't think they are. Welcome fellow traveller to the Tent Talks podcast where we fight bad ideas with good ideas. Join Dr. Stephen Backhouse and friends as we pursue the renewing of our theological, social and political imagination. Hello, my name is Shay Martins-Allen and I have been given the wonderful privilege of doing a podcast for Tent Theology. The fact that we have our first Asian Prime Minister in the United Kingdom This should have impressed me, right? In some ways, I really am. The representation is good and I'm happy that children will now see that this is perfectly normal. Despite the fact that politically I'm not really a fan of any of these people, I was still impressed with the diversity. Yet there was also something about it that made me feel a bit uncomfortable. I was confronted with my own reflection almost. I should have felt happy, impressed, a belief that yes, someone who looks like me can be in top positions in government. That's how I was told I should feel anyway. I am fascinated by ethnic minorities in public life, and I personally am a lover of diversity of thought. Ethnic minorities are not one monolithic group, and there is a huge diversity within communities. There is always a freedom of choice. Attempts to group us all into one block don't work, and that is actually where I find common ground with more right-wing ethnic minorities who are sick of people and politicians assuming that they will be left-leaning because of the colour of their skin. Yet for me, many of them go too far and do end up looking a little bit like the poster boy slash girl for more sinister white extremists who want to use them as their poster boy slash girl of their cause if they get the ethnic minority to say they hate immigrants. But then again, is that fair? Some on the left go straight for the claim that they are not really black or not really Asian, which also seems very, very wrong to me. They are black or Asian. They just happen to disagree with other black or Asian people. As someone who likes diversity of thought in principle, I see honestly nothing wrong with that. And so I find myself in the middle, like I do at most times in my life, looking at both sides and wondering how we got here. Is it as simple as those on the left see it, unrepresentative traitors being used by white people to promote a racist cause? Or is it as the right see it, an emerging force of ethnic minorities sick of the woke ideology and standing up for proper conservative values, which are valid and actually widely held? Often, they're just too scared to say what they think because of the backlash and slurs from lefties. Or is it just not that simple? In this episode, I talk to people who are a bit more in the middle, a bit more like myself. We tend to be able to swing one way or another politically depending on what's on offer. Chinna and David are really good examples of people asking very similar questions to me. So let's explore and see what they think. 
is a journalist and a writer who I was very keen to speak to. She's a regular contributor to BBC religion and ethics programmes, including Thought for the Day on Radio 4's Today programme, The Daily Service and Prayer for the Day. Her day job is as director of Theos, the religion and society think tank, and she recently wrote a book in May 2021 called God is Not a White Man. I was super interested to talk to Chine about what she thought of the state of politics in Britain today, and especially what she thought about having our first ethnic minority prime minister. So take a listen and see what you think. director of Theos, which is the Religion and Society think tank. So we explore the role of religion in society, and media, politics, public life. My parents are Nigerian. I was also born in Nigeria um, and moved to the UK when I was four. The 34 years in Britain, uh, we moved to Britain in the late 80s, me and my two younger sisters as well. Right. So would you see yourself as more British or more Nigerian or a bit of both? So definitely more British, like even even though I sometimes question um, whether I am British and some people might question whether I could be fully British because I am black. Um, when I go to Nigeria and when I'm in Nigerian contexts, I'm clearly a British person. <laughs> um, but I think I think what I've appreciated more, uh, particularly after university, was being more is proud of my heritage and my Nigerian heritage, more interested in it. And whereas before that, I think I did everything to try and not be Nigerian. So to kind of assimilate into kind of British culture, but I'm definitely, a, yeah, definitely Nigerian and British. So one of my first questions, therefore, is going to be, what are your thoughts on someone like uh, Kemi Badenoch, um, who is, who obviously came here, I think when she was a teenager or so, um, and she sees, she's, she's British and has Nigerian parents, but very, I think we could accurately describe her as quite, right wing um how do you view someone like her so it's complicated um for me um because in some ways i'm like yes go girl um you are uh, a nigerian young black mother um with, with young children um you have made it you are you know a government minister who's done really really well to to succeed in a predominantly white political system. So one part of me is just really proud of her. And I can imagine what her family uh, would think about her having, um, you, know, you know, run for prime minister. We are a proud people. So we, we would be really, you know, her family must be really, really proud of her. I guess the other part of me is disappointed in some of her views. I think it's completely obviously fine to be a uh, black person and be part of the Conservative Party. A lot of my family, a lot of my um, friends are conservative in their kind of socio-political views. The, the problem for me is when it comes to a, I guess, views that are extreme and almost caricatures of someone who is right wing that deny systemic racism, that say things like, you know, racism no longer exists in the UK. Um, that puts blame on particular communities for the positions that they're in without kind of recognising the systemic environments in which they might be uh, less well off and might be less educated. So I think it's obviously good that she has um, she's in the position she is, but it, it's, the, it's the caricatures 
other views that she has that I find problematic. Yeah, and I think one of her arguments would be that she has noticed, and I've also seen these comments, that especially from people who are maybe more left-wing, that there's a lot of sort of teasing that goes on. There's not very much acceptance that, you know, a black person can be this right-wing, and there's kind of some comments made about, you know, her hair and her plaits, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, her argument would be that that is racism, in, in a sense, and that is that is bullying, which I don't think anyone condones at the same time yes some of these views are quite problematic I also struggle so when you saw Rishi Sunak become prime minister you saw Kwasi Kwarteng become chancellor and you saw Kemi Badenoch also be a minister for you was that an indication that in Britain we've really progressed racially and all of these people are in top positions in government or did you think actually this is a bit more complicated doesn't necessarily show that I'm not one of those people who says we haven't progressed at all, because clearly we have, because the Prime Minister is called Rishi Sunak and the Chancellor was called Kwasi Kwarteng. Like, these are names that are not British names. Um, and so sometimes I kind of um, have a moment when I think, oh, the Prime Minister is called, called Rishi Sunak. He's a brown man. Clearly, we have progressed. Clearly, you know, 50 years ago, we would not have been in this position where we would have had brown people in the cabinet. Um, so we we have to stop and say, actually, we have advanced in, in, in some ways. I also think that clearly, you know, we're not living at a time where racism is so accepted and explicit as it was at the times when we were seeing signs on doors saying no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. Obviously, that those things can't happen anymore. But there is, despite Rishi Sunak being the prime minister, Obviously, racism still exists in society. Obviously, there is still um, oppression um, of ethnic minority groups. And um, even though, though that oppression might be less obvious and might be less in your face, there might be microaggressions, but there are also bigger systemic issues that need to be faced that mean some people are oppressed. Then there's also the issue of class, isn't there? Because, yes, these are brown people in key political positions, but they're all privately educated. Rishi Sunak is super, super, super rich. So to pretend that his journey to number 10 is the same, means that any brown person in the UK could become prime minister, I don't think that, I think I think we'd be lying if we, if we said that was true. So yes, I get that. So out of interest, do you think then that, I've had someone else say to me that actually they felt, as that was an Asian man saying he actually felt that someone like Barack Obama was more, but when Barack Obama came president, that represented more because he felt that the way that Obama talked about race and actually tried to do something about race as someone who was mixed race, it felt like he felt represented because he was doing something. Same with Leo Varadkar in Ireland, he felt that he was actually doing something, whereas it was the way that he hadn't heard anything about him doing anything about race, despite being in that position. So he didn't feel as represented. Is is that something you feel or resonate with? Yeah, I think I think if if you are privately educated, I'm Oxbridge educated, right? So I'm not pretending that like I am from the ends or, you know, have have faced a lot of the uh, oppression that lots of black of the black community have. But you would expect and you would hope that black and brown people in those positions, recognising their own privilege, might also say, yeah, I'm privileged, but, but. there are people who are not. Yes. Um, the problem is when they when they don't talk about it or when they pretend that it that it, because they've made it, that that is somehow 
means that everyone can and everyone is in the same position even if they don't have the money or the background that they do so i think it's it's completely good that there are brown people in positions of authority in in politics in the uk but it would be even better if those people also acknowledge the systemic prejudices and oppressions that other black and brown people face in the uk rather than pretend those don't exist yeah, and this is a really interesting question because I see the, a lot of the accusations from right-wingers, especially ethnic minority right-wingers, is that there is an expectation on them to be more liberal on certain policies like immigration because of things that you, like you just said, and things that I also feel that I feel as a child of immigrants that I couldn't possibly be you know, that, you know, strict on immigration, because I see a direct link between, well, if if immigration policies were this harsh, when my parents came over, I simply wouldn't be here. So I see a direct correlation. And so therefore, yes, I would be more liberal, but their argument would be, well, just because I'm an ethnic minority does not mean that I should be more liberal. I don't want those expectations that just because I have this skin colour, I should think in a certain way. Uh, And I find this an interesting point that there seems to be an issue on the left, that if you are an ethnic minority, they they can sometimes find it very, very difficult that an ethnic minority can be that right wing. And then there's a problem on the right where they don't want to be cast as only having liberal views. So it feels almost like they swing further to the right to uh, compensate for the fact that they are deaf. They want to show you they're definitely, definitely not liberal. So, so I'm trying to navigate to see whether there's a pathway in between, because as an ethnic minority, I, I actually don't think either. I do think that there should be a, a wide range of views. Uh, I'm also very aware of my privilege. Um, I'm privately educated and I know there's a lot of discrimination I don't face because of the way that I speak and the the background I come from and the education I have. But at the same time, I, I, I can't dismiss it entirely. I do find characters on the right like that quite problematic. I, my next question for you is going to be, do you think Suella Braverman on immigration specifically, as I mentioned, that kind of link that I have for me that as a child of immigrants, I see a direct correlation between, well, I wouldn't be here without certain liberal immigration policies. <laughs> How do you feel as a child of immigrants in Britain with someone else who's a child of immigrants saying that sort of stuff about refugees? In one way, I think as someone who talks about racial justice uh, and equality, I want us to get to a point where it's totally OK for a black or brown person to be right wing because there is within a certain racial group and what you want to get to is a point where people can recognise the diversity of, uh, of views and backgrounds of those people. So in the same way as I recognise that I don't see a white person and automatically think they are right wing or left wing, you want to be able to get to a point where a black person can be either of those things and that is not frowned upon because, because they are black. What I don't like with the tone of Soella Braverman and her, I guess, immigration policies and the things that she says is that they are unkind. <laughs> like it's it's not just it's not just about the policy itself, but about human dignity, worth, kindness, not using certain phrases about people or groups of people that suggest that they are in any way lesser than you. There's also like I've been having interesting conversations about like how we see experts in society. 
increasingly, if you look at kind of nonfiction or experts and how they talk, there's often like what's accepted now is for them to also have a personal experience of that thing that they're talking about. That's when that's when we trust them more because they've had the personal experience. I don't think it should matter whether or not your parents were immigrants and whether you were immigrant, an immigrant. But actually, that does give you a personal lived experience of that thing that means that people might expect you to be kind of more open but actually I think kind of regardless of where you have come from as an individual there is the kindness like there's the kind of openness and generosity that I think should be some of the values that underpin how we do uh, society recognizing the kindness and the dignity of both immigrants but also the people who are who might have their livelihoods I'm not going to say this actually because I don't think people are having their livelihoods threatened because of immigrants but um, recognising the full kind of diversity of experiences of, of the UK public. But I think we should just be kind. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't obviously mean letting everyone in, but I don't think that we're at the point where we're full. No, it's true. There is this kind of emotional response, isn't there, from other ethnic minorities and sometimes often for people on the left, which is that how could you almost pull up the drawbridge after you've benefited from something and then go, oh, I benefited from it, but you're not allowed to benefit from it. There, so there is that kind of emotive response that I do understand. But when I talk to, I'm going to talk to more right-wingers about this, I want to get down to the nitty-gritty of whether I'm not sure whether Suella Braverman sees herself as that type of immigrant. I think it's because there's two types of immigrants. Those are refugees who came illegally, and that's not how I came. So they're they're bad. And I'm the good type of immigrant because I came legal or my parents came legally and we followed the rules and we contributed to society. And there seems to be that demarcation between a bit a bit like bad poor people and the deserving poor and the undeserving poor so I feel like that's the kind of those are the two pathways because I feel psychologically that's the only way you could sort of justify seeing that as so separate from yourself yeah but then if you think about that there's also a stigma or not stigma but people um complain about economic migrants which is what my parents were which is what Suella Braverman's put parents were I think who actually don't need to come here they're not you know they're not being chased out of their countries but actually they see um, that they would benefit that th- from moving to the UK and that they would be more wealthy and, th- and that's what kind of my parents did surely actually we should be more kind again or more favorable to those who are so desperate that they would risk their lives to come here it's not just about you know money. It's about literally life and death. Um, and I get the conversations often happen around you know whether these are actually economic migrants disguising themselves as um, asylum seekers. But I think actually we should be kind of open and generous to those who 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 risk. But I totally get what you're saying about the judgmental I guess approaches from the left to people who are ethnic minorities in these positions. Sometimes I absolutely cringe at some of the language that is used about people like Kemi Badenoch. That, again, is really just unkind. So And the Rupert Huck comment as well about, you know, that Quasi Quartag is not properly black or yeah. that really problematic stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I think it was it, it was it Biden who said that if you if you vote Republican, that you're that you ain't black or something like that. Now, these like... Uh, if you're, if I'm black, I can vote however I want. 
you have to ask the questions why black people are voting for certain parties. Uh, they are more attractive to them for whatever reason that is. So we need to recognise that not everyone's experience or views are the same as ours. And I think there is a that some people on the left don't realise often how you and I would, but how socially conservative certain ethnic minorities are. Like I have a Nigerian parent, very, very socially conservative. So on all of those issues, they're you know, much more aligned with the Conservative Party than the Labour Party. Um, maybe economically, maybe more liberal, but socially on all those issues, very conservative. So I wanted to ask you about what would you say about the accusation from the left that there that some of these ethnic minorities in prominent positions, right wing positions, are sort of being used as a sort of poster boy slash poster girl by often white evangelical right wing Christians as sort of poster boys or girls for their views because they can then point to the ethnic minority and say, don't, don't, it's not just me who believes it. Look, I've got a brown or a black person who also thinks the same. So therefore I can't possibly be racist. It can't be a racist thing. It's it has to be okay because the black or brown person said it's okay. Yeah, of course they're they're gonna be used as those poster boys and poster girls. And I guess there must be situations in which um, people like Kwesi Kwarteng or Kemi Bedrin are encountering the fact that they are being used to put up those particular political views. Now, they may choose to ignore that because actually it's to their advantage because um, they, they're propelled into positions of leadership that they would otherwise not have been. Um, but sometimes it's got to, it's got to hurt, right? <laughs> I will say that I've been to, um, I went to an event at number 10 a while ago where there was a uh, one of the black or brown ministers who was stopped at the gate and was asked to show their ID uh, because they didn't, you know, the, the people at the gate didn't believe that they were a minister. Now, this is interestingly someone who doesn't think that racism <laughs> exists in the UK. So I always wanted to say, really? Like, why do you think it is that you were? What, what, could it, what reason could it possibly have been that you were stopped or not let in or questioned when you are? A- I know. That is that that is quite something. Um, and my last question for you is, in terms of representation, what do you think that the British government should look like? What would it look like to you if it was truly representative, if it truly did represent ethnic minorities? Because clearly we've got the visuals. The visuals look good and it looks very representative. But my, the general theme I'm getting from people I've already interviewed is that there's still something missing for, for them. And if there is something missing for you, what would what would it take? What would it look like to be truly rep- representative? So it comes to the invisible, which is which is class. If you look at most of the, the cabinet, they would be from certain schools, um, certain universities. I think if we're going to be truly representative, then they would come from different different backgrounds. They would be working class as well as middle class. And they would therefore have different experiences of what the world is like um, for most of the UK public. So yeah, it's definitely for me about class. And that's before we even get to put conversations about, about sexuality and about physical uh, uh, physical ability, physical disability. We haven't even started to kind of um, you know think about those things. So yeah, it's definitely not just about race, it's also about class and lots of other um, protected characteristics. David Jesse has actually known me for the longest time. He was around, I think, when I was born, as his family are very, very good friends with my family. 
It was a very exciting moment in the Martins household when David starred in his first television advert and now he has gone from strength to strength because he's a very big time black British actor and we are very very proud. He's recently been in The Diplomat on Netflix which I thoroughly enjoyed and has also been seen in Carnival Row, Troy and the big budget Hollywood movie Interstellar. I really wanted to interview David to see what his thoughts were on politics in Britain today and whether he thought that actually having an ethnic minority prime minister made any difference to his life at all, especially being a black British man. Have a listen. David Kweku Asamwa Jesse. I'm 42, but 40s to 50s, I guess. I'm an actor and a producer and a father, but I don't make money out of my children yet. Though I need to find a way of doing that. And a husband, and a husband. Where were you born? Where were you born? And then tell me about where your parents were born. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is, right, before I answer that, which is a thank you for rephrasing, I think we should be able to ask that question. Mm-hmm. I think we should be able to ask that question, but it's it's about picking up the signs. <laughs> if someone answers that question and tells you, like, read the room, do you know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> like, um, read the room. Because for some people, you know, they identify as British. Some people identify as Black British. Some people identify as Ghanaian. So, it's about kind of reading the room and accepting people's answers, I think. In answer to your question, I was born here, I was, which is the UK, in Hammersmith Hospital, Fulham boy. But my parents are Ghanaian. So how do you identify? Do you identify yourself as Black British, um, British slash Ghanaian? How do you identify yourself? It's weird. I sort, I sort of uh, identify myself personally as a global citizen. I kind of quoted as saying my blood was matured in Ghana and I I feel strongly affiliated with Ghana. That actually helps me as I walk around and I travel to lots of different countries. The sort of pride in that that I have and feel is not lost on me. But I'm also aware that when I went to Rwanda, I I had people literally shouting down the street at me. Uh, black Mzungu <laughs> as I was walking, which means black white man. And 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 it's so mad because the first time I went there, I thought to myself, this is it, you know, African continent. Oh, I was in my teens, so or, or early 20s, and I, I it was the first time I would be on, on the continent without my parents and without aunties and cousins to kind of guide me through to this coffee shop, this bar, whatever. So I was like, man, and and I'm going to be one of the majority and I'm just going to leave the hotel and just walk to the, and just even the pace that I was walking, the pace that I was walking at, the linen trousers that I had on, people were like, ah, you're not from here. And I thought, wow, that, that's interesting because I thought I would just fit, in. fit yeah. in. And that's that's where this kind of global citizen comes from because, you know, not all the food I eat is from one area. Not all the, the clothes I wear is from one area. Sure. Um, so the vibes and the flavours are 
are mixed. So in terms of your um, political leanings, in terms of the way that you vote, what is at the forefront of your mind when you're voting? Are you thinking, are you tribalistically affiliated to one party? Or are you looking at who the prime minister is? Or who are you you looking at the policies? Are you like, what's your, your guiding, your guiding thing that kind of help makes you go right, I'm voting for this person? Do you know, I like to think in the light of day, I like to think I'm quite centrist. But honestly, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I, I'm not. I, I, I tried to convince myself, but hey, you know, I want to listen to all policies. But the way I look at it is when I look at the extreme left, let's say extreme left is like communism or an idea that we'll all rise together. That doesn't as offend me as much as the extreme right. And so I find I lean towards the left. You know, I saw one statement the last when we were voting. I think it was either the Brexit referendum or something. We were voting for something and someone said, what if you voted? Think of the think of the most vulnerable person, you know, and what if you put your vote for them? I'm very fortunate to be in a position where I dabble with a bit of privilege. And so there are certain things that the right do that would really benefit me, but I'm not really interested in that because actually there are neighbors, family members, different communities that it would not, it might benefit me and my household, but not so much other people. You're thinking about society as a whole when you vote for the most part. Definitely. That's what I like to think. That may be quite, (laughs) <laughs> but that's Perfect. what I like to think right so when you saw Rishi Sunak become prime minister of the UK as a 42 year old guy who's lived mostly in Britain when you were a kid did you think that Britain would get to the point where we could have an Asian prime minister and it really not be a big deal at all it kind of just was like oh yeah okay fine he's Asian it wasn't really like a it wasn't a monumental occasion sort of either way. It wasn't it wasn't people going, oh, this is you know huge breakthrough, although it was commented on, and there was no real backlash. It was just kind of like, okay, whatever. Did you think do you think this is a big deal? Do you think it shows how far we've come as a as a country, or do you actually think mm, not it doesn't really say that much? So uh, it's kind of two questions there. Like when I was a kid, did I imagine, did I imagine that? And no, no, I I, I kind of felt like you know, when Obama got in, I felt like we're sort of 50 years behind that. And I couldn't see who the next leader would be. And then, of course, COVID happens. And the first part of COVID, Rishi's taking these with the briefings. And his first couple of briefings, I thought, my goodness, this is the next prime minister. Right. Because the first couple of briefings, I thought there's a lot of integrity there. There's a lot of sense there. There's a lot of measured and considered decision and thought making. And I thought, yeah, you know, this could be. And I think that was probably combined with what we'd had before and what we were experiencing at the time seemed to be the opposite of measured, considered, articulate thought. So that was then something. But I I think we'd be remiss if we were to get swept away with the idea that he's in that position, that some idea that the country has voted for that. I think if you look at the intricacies of what happened, the fact that they didn't go 
to the membership. And actually before that, when they went to the membership, it was clear to me, and I was trying to keep my centrist head on, but it was clear to me that the only candidate that made any sense was Rishi. The only candidate that was that was just logical in this time was Rishi. And for the membership to make the decision that they had, and I think if it had gone to the membership again, I don't think Rishi would have got in. So I don't buy the idea that we've somehow moved to a place where by some sort of a couple of back doors, back doors with keys and and codes to get through, suddenly Rishi's there and all is well in the world of politics and equality. I don't buy that. As a quick add-on to that point, so I interviewed somebody else, actually, they mentioned the same point, that actually they thought that Richie Sunak was the obvious choice over Liz Truss, so they actually thought it was a little bit racist that he wasn't picked in the first place. However, I'm going to ask you the same question. Um, a lady called Kemi Badenoch, when it came to all of the polling and the voting, she came out basically on top of everybody, whether they were white, black, you know, uh, female, male, because of what she was saying, the Tory membership absolutely loved her, loved her, to the point where I was actually getting quite scared that this was a <laughs> straight to become a serious prospect. If she actually got to the last two, it felt like she beat everybody. So um, what, what, what were your kind of thoughts on that? Because the membership was perfectly happy with everything that she was saying. Mm. And, and that's a really good point. And, and actually, I think two things about that. And then, and now we'll probably get into the crux of what this conversation's about, because I think depending on what the agenda is of the party, for example, I live in the same village as my brother, my younger brother. My younger brother speaks in a different accent to what how I speak, and he dresses in a different way to how I dress. My younger brother is funnier than me. He's taller. He's more attractive. This isn't going to go out anywhere, right? No one's going to hear. He won't hear. Sorry. He's more attractive. He is probably smarter, more intelligent, generally life and soul of any room he's in. But as I walk around this village, I'm afforded different, let's say, privileges, grace. Yeah, treatment, different treatment. The treatment to what he does. And that's that interests me. And, you know, you'd probably need someone that was into kind of socio-economic politics and whatever to look into what the, what's happening there. So I bring that up because I feel like Kemi Badenoch's language and policies suited the core membership of the conservative party we have a system where the members the the mps had to vote for two people and the mps who hopefully were looking at the whole picture and the whole nation felt that uh her policies were so kind of perhaps narrow or specific to a certain group of, uh, of our community that they felt they would send other people through. However, to your point, is it, could a person of colour end up leading a party like, the, or leading the country 
perhaps then the answer is yes, if they are aligning themselves with what the majority of the the country are thinking, perhaps. Mm, Is it fair to say the majority of the country? But this leads me neatly on to my next question, which is that, do you think that, do you think that ethnic minorities, it's legitimate for ethnic minorities, especially in Britain, to be very, very right wing? So someone like uh, Kemi Badnock would say her argument is, look, I'm just genuinely very, very right wing. I get harassed and treated pretty badly by um, other black and ethnic minorities who just won't accept that I am socially, economically, fiscally conservative. I, I genuinely believe in all those in those policies. I'm not a prop of, you know, sort of white um, other conservatives. These are my genuine beliefs. I don't think racism is as big a deal as you guys are making out I've, I've I've you know been very successful other black people are very successful don't kind of talk me down we're actually very you know we're doing well in this country it's a great country and that's how I feel but she her argument is that she there's an argument from people on the left that she's somehow not allowed to think that way or it's not a genuine belief she's being used as a sort of as a there's a you know, as a poster girl for people for white uh, conservatives, there's, there's just this lack of understanding that actually she genuinely is black and very, very, very conservative. Um, do you think that's a fair? Do you think she's got a fair grievance? There is the question I'm asking. Well, let me come from my feeling towards Kemi Badenoch as someone who is left leaning, as we established in the beginning. I would fight to the death for Kemi. Banalock to Badenoch to have her opinion and to be able to have and share her perspective uh, because it's a reminder that we're not a monolith. With that in mind, I fight to the death. Do I align myself with what she was saying or do I agree with what she was saying? Do I even find a lot of what she's saying palatable? It, it takes me a while to get my head around how and why someone would think that way. In the same breath, I would say this. I believe that you would sort of resonate with this somewhat. Having parents that came here as immigrants, you see, the thing about immigrants is they're kind of conservative with a small yeah, city. Yeah. Faith, family, education, work hard to cross waters, to come for a better life for yourself, to educate yourself, a better life for your kids. All of these things kind of fall under conservatism. It's when conservatism starts to lean towards where are you really from? (laughs) (laughs) When it starts to lean towards that stuff, then then our parents are like, hey, hold on a minute. Not Not that they're... Not that they're in any way ashamed of where they're from or whatever, but it's the kind of implications behind that question or the suggestions behind that question are like, you know, you can come so far, but not all the way. You can, hey, of course you could be successful. Oh, you want to be part of the royal family? Oh, there are some things we might we might have to say about that or do, you know. So I can see how people can fall into or people can not fall into that people can have those views yeah it's it's weird because I feel like for me and I hope this isn't going off piece too much but for me and I and I think you're similar as well we're very fortunate we're able to move in very different forums do you know what I mean 
I can find myself at a bashment. I can find myself in the Houses of Parliament. I can find myself in Soho. I can find myself in Britain and be comfortable. I can find myself in Accra. I can find myself in Cape Town. I can find myself in Joba. I can find myself in LA, New York, and feel comfortable. But I try to, and this is where my sort of Ghanaian heritage and the pride that it gives me, I try to take a bit of all of that with me in whatever room I go in and why I then have difficulty in some of these perspectives that seem to just come from one angle. You know, if I can do it, anyone else can do it. Do you know what? I've benefited from a good school and some good education and some good opportunities. Do you know what I mean? And so if someone else had the exact same beat by beat, moment by moment, life experience that I've had, then you know what? Maybe they could do it and maybe they could even do better than I could. But I've not shared everyone's life experience. So what I try to do, especially with the job I do, is try and understand where lots of different people are coming from. And I find some of these views seem to be lacking in appreciation for different life experiences. So views like Suella Braveman saying that she has a dream to put all of the, you know, refugees on the plane and that sort of thing, that that sort of thing does really obviously trigger people and say, you know, how can a child of immigrants talk about other, you know, refugees in this way? But apart from the fact that she seems to be mixing up refugees and immigrants into one yeah. Illegal immigrants. Illegal immigrants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it seems very much like there's immigrants like me who are legal ones, who are the correct type of ones, or you know, have parents who did it the correct way, and then there's those ones over there who are illegal, like Albanians. And somehow the conversation has moved on to it's Albanians coming over our border, and somehow that I don't know how I don't know how we got there from (laughs) (laughs) refugees, but somehow. That's oh my God. I don't know how it goes. So <clears throat> my penultimate question. Oh, actually, no, of course. I wanted to ask about Quasi Quartet. Of mm. course. As a as someone of Ghanaian heritage. Um, part of the fact I thought that he was saying his name wrong for the, I thought everyone was saying his name wrong. I was like, isn't his name isn't his name Quasi or Aquesi yeah. or like, what's, yeah, yeah, yeah. what's going on here? But apparently yeah. I've been corrected. There is a, a, a tribe in Ghana who's from apparently is is quasi, apparently. Apparently. Is who 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 told you that? <laughs> Another like Ghanaian apparently said that there is a tribe that they hadn't heard of where apparently Quasi is the name. I have to double check this, but I was like, mm, it sounds. Uh, yeah, I would I would double check it because <laughs> I would double check it. That may, that may be the case, but from the good authority I've had and the village that he's from, yeah, it's Quasi, or it's Kwesi. even they give it a Quasi. But I'll check that. That's for the next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. um, I he's an interesting character because obviously he had a scholarship. He went to Eton. He's very, very book smart, and in a weird sort of way, he was sort of thrown under the bus first uh, for the mistakes that actually Liz Truss made, or they definitely came up with it together. But he was thrown under the bus first, and I. He's an interesting character because I've seen some interviews with him on Channel Four with other black men, basically saying to him, "Look." your experience is so, so different from my own. Um, you don't get followed round shops. You don't get stopped in your car. Like, do you have any idea what the, you know, gen- general experience of being a black man in Britain is today? And he 
sort of has this sort of vacant kind of expression and the kind of formulaic answer is in, you know, I know it's tough, but, but it's kind of not that bad because that's not what he experiences. So I guess my question is class and race. These things are kind of, diff- they're difficult to unpick, but obviously quasi Kwarteng very obviously kind of comes from a very different class. So does Rishi Sunak, eating educated, Oxbridge educated, you know, immigrant parents work really hard, very highly expensive educations and very good jobs afterwards. Do you think the class element sort of overrides the race element? So therefore, if you come from that sort of background, the race bit sort of just gets forgotten. It's like it just disappears all of a sudden. All of a sudden, the rest of Britain go, you know, that the sort of upper echelons of Britain go, ah, you know, they're one of us. They're not like the other black people. They're not like the other Asian people. They're one of us because, you know, they, I can talk to them about Eton and Winchester and Oxbridge. And, you know, now you're, now you're my type of person. Like, you know, we, we can get on. And in a weird way, I've kind of experienced that also. Like I went to a private school and when you talk to certain people, they're like, oh, you know, you went to that school, you went to that university. Great. You know, you're person. You speak in a certain way. Does that sort of, does the class thing in the UK alienate you from the race problems? And I'm especially interested in your answer because you spent a lot of time in America where the class thing is just not the same. It's just not, it doesn't, it doesn't manifest itself in the same way. Whereas in Britain, it does. Yeah. Okay. So I think that if that statement that the class system overrides the race system i think that rishi sunak would have been prime minister earlier and i also think that where quasi is concerned i try to i try to make a thing of not really speaking bad of other people of color um so i uh, because I think it's tough enough anyway. And I think there are certain conversations that we have in our community. I've seen some of those interviews. And all I can say is I have a similar reaction to when I hear Suella say that she dreams of sending people back. It just, it, I, I, it, my reaction is one of kind of uh, bafflement and confusion. And so yeah I, I don't i don't like i said i don't really understand how we arrived there let me let me put it this way and if we can just jump from our politics into american politics for a moment you did mention being over there i think if president obama had how many how many wives did trump have and how many children by different women has he had i try and block it from my mind i just try and yeah sure 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 <laughs> but let's let's just throw a number of like four, four he had three wives women. he did have three, three wives, wives. Not his third three wife wives. yeah and there's about yeah. seven kids but third wife yeah i'm not sure president obama becomes president if he had the same no, yeah background and i'm not sure rishi sunak becomes prime minister if he was if people were asking him how many children do you have and he was just avoiding the question i don't i don't i'm not sure that that happens i don't know how many people have dug into boris's wealth or the wealth of Cameron or the wealth of other prime ministers the way that they've dug into rishis so 
to answer your question, I don't think class and race are are separate entities. Yeah, I don't think they are. Partly because there's this impression that, you know, and I was told this by my parents, that we have to be better. You have to be better than your white counterparts. You have to be cleaner. You have to be smarter to get to the same level, which is actually interesting as to why this private school debate that's happening at the moment is fascinating to me because I'm looking at it going, well, you see, you don't understand the psyche of immigrant parents who send their children to private schools because the reason why they're doing that is because they already see their children as behind as a result of the color of their skin. So they're like, if I can pay to level the playing field, then I will pay. Like they're not they're not doing it for an advantage, like maybe some of their white counterparts are. They're doing it to go, please, can I just get my child to like the same level so I can give them a fighting chance? Because if I send them to the state school, then we are doomed. Is essentially what they're. That's, that's their thinking about it. Um, so my last question is, that was a total side thing, but my, <laughs> my, my last question is, two questions in one. Do you think our current government is pretty re- representative, as in ethnically diverse? Because we've got Suella, we've got Rishi, well, we did have Kwasi Kwarteng, we have Preeti Patel, we have Kemi Badenoch, we have James Cleverly. This is actually, on the face of it, a very diverse cabinet. Um, so if do you, if you think it looks diverse, then tell me why, if you think it's progress. If you don't, then what would real representation look like to you in government? Mm. It's an interesting, it's an interesting double question that because actually for representation, we need to we need to break that down a little bit first. And 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 especially in politics, because I think it comes with a whole new set of invisible nuances that we don't quite appreciate and look at. Yes. And what are those? So I've literally, I've just finished doing a long contract uh, for Netflix on a show called The Diplomat, where I actually played the British Foreign Secretary. Oh, in, look at that. In, <laughs> yeah, in, in a Tory government. Ah. Um, and so yes. when I... When I first read for it, I thought that uh, my voice is is quite, my accent's from all over the place. It's kind of drama school affected, university affected, you know, uh, Fulham affected, Hammersmith affected, all of that. But I thought that I would just tune up certain elements of my accent and speak a little bit like this and sort of convince them that I could play this British foreign secretary and the writers of the show were like we're interested in what happens if you David were the foreign secretary ah okay and so then we had this whole conversation about my politics being slightly more left-leaning yeah and the government that is in their story was right and so was right-leaning Tory and yeah so the writer said something that really stuck with me. She said, you know, one, she has to believe that there are good right-leading politi- politicians and good left-leading politicians. Yeah. And she she said she shared that, you know, when Trump got into power in the States, so the writer's American, when Trump got into power in the States, she knew a load of Republicans who refused to to, to jump ship. Yes. They didn't agree with a lot of what was being said, but they yeah. knew if they all jumped ship, yeah, this this ship would be rudderless. And that's interesting to me 
Because I do believe that there are people with integrity within the current government that have to have to diplomatically uh, maneuver and do the dance of getting things through. The jury for me is is out on Rishi. I could be wrong, but my instinct tells me underneath all of that is actually a good man with a level of integrity um, that is having to do a dance around, I need to have this person in this office because if I don't have this person, there'll be a, a rebellion against that. And this person will probably go and go and sorry to be crass, hang themselves anyway through saying something stupid or doing something stupid or something from their past will come up. And then I'll be able to place someone in there that I actually more aligned with, but appeases this side of the party. And that actually you could argue is leadership, isn't it? It's it's listening to all the different counts. So is it representative of our nation? I don't think I, I, I do think something that is centrist would be more representative of our nation because because right now we're so polarized and, and it's been that way for so long. So diplomacy has become I'm right, you're wrong. It was never that. It was never intended to be that. It was intended to be, Shay, you sit around this table. Someone else sits around this table. Someone else sits and I sit around. And we all hear what our ideals are and why certain things wouldn't benefit us. And then it takes real wisdom to say, okay, this is the way we're gonna move forward. This will allow you to win a little bit, but lose a little bit here. Our person on the left will win a little bit and lose a bit, and on the right, and myself, and we move forward. And then we have another discussion and hopefully we move forward again. Not this you lost, shut up, this is the way we're doing it kind of vibe is not right i would i would and i hope this answers your question i saw something and i i mean i really hope it is true and it is uh, a quote from a first nation member from like that sort of america part of the world what we now call america but that that part of the world and i believe someone was explaining to him about the way that politics works says, you know we have the right wing and we have the left wing and you know, the right wing is for this and the left wing is for this. And I like to think this person paused and then said, what if I told you that the left wing and the right wing were both part of the same bird? Um, so I love that. I love that. And I think that, I, you know, I have to believe that there are, despite what comes out and how much the hairs on the back of my neck and back and shoulders and elbows stand on edge, I have to believe that there are people within the current government that are fighting for the most vulnerable in their communities and in their constituencies and in their families. I have to believe that. But I, I think the way that they have to do it hasn't been ever done. And that's a shame. Thank you for listening. Thanks to David Backhouse for the theme tune and to Chris Marchand for editing and all the other music. This show only exists because of support from listeners like you. If you have found something we made to be good or useful, 
please consider becoming a patron at the Tent Talks Patreon page or leave a good review on whichever podcast platform you use to listen. This really helps. For more information, visit www.tenttheology.com. Thank you.